The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game, I'm going to change that too. If you want to ride with the game changers, that's a hint. You're in the right place. The buzz today is safety first. Vroom. Okay, let's get started. After a record number of vehicle recalls in 2014, you saw the headlines. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Automakers and other related companies are under intense pressure and scrutiny from consumers and regulators to proactively improve product quality and safety. We want them to protect consumers. We drive, we ride. We want them to minimize the duration, the scale, and the cost of recalls. We are even calling recalls events now because they happen so often. That's not a party you want to go to. Is it possible? Is it in their vision? Is it in their bailiwick to make this happen? Can they do it? I'm going to say two words that might provide the answer. Advanced analytics. Aha, you're saying. I have a panel of experts to explain and lead us out of the garage and into the sunlight. Let's get started. First up, I'm pleased to welcome a first-time visitor here to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. It's Mark Gardner. He's a principal with Deloitte, and I have to mention he's a former engineer with NASA in Houston, Texas, and he helped with the spacesuits and the spacewalks. We'll hear more from Mark later. But Mark has sent me, of course, a quote from Space Shuttle Commander John Young. Here's the quote. Quote, anyone who sits on top of the largest hydrogen-oxygen-fueled system in the world, knowing they're going to light the bottom and doesn't get a little worried, does not fully understand the situation. Wow. Mark Gardner, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, good morning. I'm doing very well, thanks. Glad to have you. And you do have a wonderful voice for radio as well as probably a wonderful voice for spacesuits. So talk to me, uh, Space Shuttle Commander John Young. What year was this and, and how does this relate to our topic of auto safety and advanced analytics? Go ahead, Mark. Sure. Well, uh, I was privileged to uh, be part of the space shuttle program back in the early days of the uh, the early 1980s, um, and I was uh, privileged to work with uh, John Young back in those days. Uh, he well, he was the first commander of the uh, first uh, space shuttle mission. Um, I was uh, still wet behind the ears right out of college as a new engineer, uh, taking him through his required training and preparation for the uh, for one of his space shuttle missions. So um, he was uh, quite a guy. One of these. Uh, prototypical steely-eyed astronauts and I think to me that quote just really resonates because um, you know I think the the ability to sit on top of that shuttle knowing that they're gonna light the fuse so to speak um, and just kinda of remain calm the way he did 
I think I think his heartbeat uh, during launch, they said, was uh, equivalent to somebody going out for a casual jog. He was just somebody wow. who really kind of maintained his calm and understood risks, but also um, was able to kind of manage those risks and kind of keep in the moment. So for me, it's, it's it resonates because it puts kind of what I do in perspective and uh, really helps me just deal with the moment and deal with things that are going on at the time. And Mark, would you say that this is something automakers and related manufacturers need to do is keep calm and figure this out rather than saying, OMG, another recall, another (laughs) great bad boy headline, bad girl headline. People are looking at us. They're going to stop buying our cars. They're going to, going to put us in bad light in consumer reports. Is this a calm that you would advise to that industry today? Well, I think, you know, the risks in the auto business and certainly consumers with their vehicles, uh, they're real risks and they're very serious risks if things go bad, just as they are in, in, with NASA. Um, but, I, you know, I think the point is, you know, risks can be understood, risks can be managed. Um, and I think the auto companies are starting to, um, as we'll talk about, start to re- re- spending a lot of time thinking about how they can get ahead of this product recall issue. Needs to get better. Thank you, Mark Gardner. Again, welcome and delighted to meet you. Let's turn to, well, he's been on so many times. I don't even know if he needs an introduction. It's Josh Greenbaum at EAC Consulting. Josh, welcome back. And here's a quote from Josh. He says, beware the unintended consequences of advanced analytics in the automotive sector. I'm not surprised. Josh is a realist. He says, saving lives is lives is unequivocally a good idea, but Big data analytics will have other impacts that might not be as well received. Wow, Josh, talk to me. Welcome. How are you today? I am. I am good. I'm, I don't have my radio voice today. I'm still getting over the last cold of <clears throat> the week, but uh, no, I'm very well, and it's great to be back as always. I feel like this is uh, one of the highlights of of the month when I get to do this. So thanks for having Aww, me. Oh, you're very sweet. That's good to know. Such a provocative quote from you, Josh. You're saying, well, they're good, but maybe not for everyone or in every part of this industry. What's going on? Give us an idea. Well, you know, and, and, and I really want to make that, that statement about unequivocally good to save lives. I don't want to go, mm-hmm. I don't want to go beyond, you know, <clears throat> anything, you know, anything that would imply that I'm, I'm, I'm saying we shouldn't be doing that. But for instance, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to improve, the quality of the cars, we're going to be looking at, at, at a very broad set of issues, and fundamentally those are about, about the quality of the parts, the quality of the repair, the quality of how we, imp- you know, how we, you know, how we maintain these cars in, throughout their life cycle. And one of, the, one of the unintended consequences of throwing big data analytics into the, into the pile and really crunching the numbers is that you're going to improve quality so much that you will, you're going to start impacting the, um, the parts business and the parts side. Now, <clears throat> that has a huge number of impacts. Uh, it is, you know, there are 3.6 million jobs that are, are you know, are just, just in, the, um, in, in the production of these parts and, and, of course, their use. There's $355 billion worth of uh, <clears throat> revenue coming into the GDP. That, that is uh, the result of the spare parts business. And... We've seen this effect already. There's a large um, truck manufacturer I was uh, in contact with last year that had done exactly this with, you know, really, really put put in some sensors into their truck assemblies. Really made the you know made the move to to use advanced analytics. And lo and behold, of course, what they were able to do is start shortening repair cycles, and more importantly, um, helping the um, the dealers who ultimately have those maintenance contracts. Um, lower cost by instead of you know 
repairing an entire assembly or an entire you know, Axel, they, the analytics really helped them pinpoint the exact part that either had failed or was going to fail. They, they, they would replace that lower cost to the customer, lower, you know, lower time, you know, off the road, all beautiful, except the spare parts side of that auto dealer, uh, auto, automobile company went nuts because, of course, mm-hmm. suddenly their, you know, <clears throat> their profitability was, was in the, in the toilet. The mechanics who worked for these folks were starting mm-hmm. to lose their jobs. And the screaming and yelling didn't stop for months and months. So that, wow. that was an unintended consequence. Everyone thought they were doing a great job, and suddenly all kinds of you know, other bad things happened. And that, that's what happens sometimes when you, you throw big data at a problem. You find out you're going to change things in ways you didn't intend. Good, good insights, Josh. It, it seems to me that now we're talking about walking a fine line. Yes, you can use analytics. Yes, you can make it better. But it sounds like almost robot time. You, you talk about robots and manufacturing, and people are going to say, what about all the people jobs? What about the people who need to work? Are we all going to be replaced? So you're saying analytics can put people out of work because things won't go wrong as often or as badly, and you won't need the parts. Good perspective. Thank you, Josh. And I hope your cold is better. You sound fine to me. That's Let me good. bring on our... Our third panelist, he's also, well, he's just come on so many times. It's Derek Snadev, uh, Senior Manager in Advanced Analytics, of course, with Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics. Derek just loves to bring me automotive topics for our shows, and we appreciate that. That's why we're back with a car topic so soon. And this is a quote from William Shakespeare. I don't think Shakespeare has ever been on Coffee Break with Game Changers before, Derek, but I've done so many hundreds of shows, I'm losing track of the quote. So here's the quote. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. Well, that certainly sounds like a life lesson. Welcome back, Derek. How are you today? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me back. Always enjoy coming on the show. Terrific. Talk to me. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. Are we talking about uh, getting ready to pick up your date for the prom? Are we talking about uh, fixing that noisy carburetor? Are we talking about showing up for your first day of work? How how far and wide can we apply this William Shakespeare topic? Talk to me, the quote. <laughs> well, I thought the quote was pretty apropos for our discussion today, and, and I guess I'll tell you um, why. You know, as you mentioned in the open, Bonnie, um, you know, there were record recalls in the automotive space in 2014. And there's every reason to believe, particularly if you listen to NITS Administrator Mark Rosekind, um, that there's going to be even more in 2015. And I, and I think that's really for three reasons. Uh, one is there's certainly greater consumer awareness about vehicle safety issues. And um, NITS is a case in point. They're seeing significantly more consumer complaints coming in than in previous years. Um, I, I think point two is that there's enhanced enforcement activity by the federal regulators. And so they're looking, for example, to increase the maximum fines that are possible for automakers mm-hmm. that have, um, you know, vehicle safety issues. And then, of course, the third point is, is the renewed focus that the auto, auto manufacturers have themselves on vehicle safety. And I think on this last point, you know, as we go out and, and talk with some of the automotive companies, uh, what we find is that there really is a fundamental shift going on um, from being more reactive to being more proactive. And so, you know, in the days past, it was maybe okay to wait and watch for a trend to really develop. Um, but, but really, that's much too late. It's a big problem by the time you can see this huge wave. And so the, they really are, are starting to think much more about how can we nip these things in the bud? What, what's the earliest mm-hmm. possible indication we can get that there's a potential issue? And how can we create an intelligent system that can be kind of taught and improved over time to look for these um, potential problems? So. I mean, I thought the quote was pretty appropriate just because, you know, this is really a case in point where, you know, much better to be, you know, too early on identifying an issue than Mm -hmm. too late. 
Good point. I like it. I think it's a, a life lesson as well. Uh, it, forgive me for, for pulling the quote into other areas, but I thought it was really good words to the wise. Derek, do you agree? I'm going to hark back to what Josh just shared. Do you agree with Josh that there's a good side and a bad side? It's a, a mixed bag of, of pro- proactiveness, proactivity. If you use analytics to solve the problems, you may be putting people out of work. And how does that balance against the value of human life? I think we all know the answer. But Derek, any comments on, on what Josh gave us? Well, you know, it's certainly a fair point that he brings up. I, you know, I guess one thing that we're seeing in some of the auto companies that we're working with is, you know, there, there is that um, initial hesitation to say, oh, wait, if we, you know, bring in big data, machine learning, advanced analytics, that that's going to, you know, kind of put people out of jobs or potentially they're not going to have, you know, the, the same kind of roles that they had before. Um, but what we've typically seen is that it, it kind of shifts a lot of their activities. And so maybe whereas before they were doing more, like if you're thinking about like maybe investigators, very, you know, manual research activities, um, you know, kind of in a very reactive mode, putting out fires. Now it allows them to get out on the front edge and, and, and use higher value skills that they have to, you know, diagnose, you know, a nice package mm-hmm. of information to say, is there an issue or not here? So, um, so in, in some other ways, it, it can also kind of just shift um, people maybe to some more value added activities as well. Good and point. Bonnie, this is Mark. If I yes, can maybe please. chime in on that question, please you know, do. I, um, you know, I, I agree with Josh's point that you know the quality of vehicles in general. If you look at products produced now compared to ten years ago or twenty years ago, the, the quality is at an all-time high. The vehicles and the parts within those. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with the, um, the the downside though of doing advanced analytics. I mean the there's an inherent failure rate in the parts as they're manufactured today. I mean, the parts will fail at some point. Um, All the predictive analytics is doing is to allow um, companies to kind of see ahead and understand when things are starting to fail so that they can take corrective action sooner as opposed to dealing with a bigger set of problems and a higher volume of of recalls. So um, I think the quality is great today and it's always improving, um, but parts still fail at a certain point in time and analytics Mm -hmm. just helps us to see that that's happening. Yeah, good point all. I was going to ask you to chime in on that, Mark, as well. I have a question for the three of you, just a general question. Recalls. How do you find out? If, I've, I've never received one. I typically buy non-U.S. made sports cars that are a couple of years old with all, all the kinks out of them, and they're really good road cars for many, many years. I just love my cars until they almost die on me. So I've never never had a recall. So the question is, how do you find out? Is it Do you, do you yep. get a, a Google alert? Do you get an email? Do you get a text message? Uh, Mark, why don't you just, I'd like all three of you to chime in. How do you find out about a recall? Sure. Yeah, it's 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 pretty simple actually. The manufacturer knows who owns the vehicle based on the fact that you've registered your vehicle with your state. So if you uh, if your vehicle is registered, there's a record of of you as the owner uh, with an address, and then the manufacturer is able to uh, send you a, a card in the mail that says bring the bring the vehicle in for service. So it's actually pretty straightforward. Yeah, okay. I, I'm just sitting here. I actually collected some recent ones. Unfortunately, you're very lucky, Bonnie. <laughs> I have actually a Toyota Sienna, which is a pretty highly rated car, and I'm still getting. And it's interesting the point of this whole, you know, topic here. I'm getting now these recall notices that are, I would say, um, you know, uh, overly cautious. They're sending mm-hmm. them out whether or not my my particular model might need it. They're sending it out whether I um, even have that. You know that that particular issue is part of the you know the, the package I got. 
Um, but I, I get quite a few of them. They're very, they're very polite and they're very straightforward. And um, I will add another problem with, with recall. You know, is 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 as as the the car manufacturers up their game and 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 do a better job in in both you know this predictive analytics as well as the notification issue. We have the final you know the final mile, if you will, last mm-hmm. piece of pavement, to, to stretch the metaphor, is, is the actual dealer network and their ability mm-hmm. to be to provide the quality uh, service that, that matches the, the quality of the analytics. And I will argue that a lot of, you know, a lot of dealers aren't up to, up to snuff. I'm not going to name names, but the one in my local town, I don't even go mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. because I, I've seen the quality of their work. It's, it's, it's well below par. So as we up this game, on the analytics side, we have to up this game on, you know, on the, on this, again, this last sort of last piece of pavement, how the dealer network is actually going to deal with it. Yep. Good points. Derek, you want to chime in on recalls? Have you had any recall experiences? You know, I, I personally haven't, but yeah, I, I did want to just add a couple of points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe I'm buying the wrong cars. I just want to say, I want to <laughs> I'll sell you mine. I'll sell you my, my little Z when I'm done with it, Josh, you <laughs> okay. can have it. I'll give it to you. Okay. Go ahead. No, you know, maybe the, the second to last mile, if you will, is, you know, certainly you need to provide notification uh, to the consumer. And, and as Mark mentioned, that often comes in the form of like a, you know, a letter or postcard or even a phone call. Um, and certainly um, automotive companies will take advantage of media outlets to, to, you know, just broadcast through the news. Um, but, but one really interesting new trend that we're seeing, and I, I think there's maybe only one auto company that's done it so far, is literally taking out commercials. Uh, to try to induce consumers to come in, you know, to have the recall repair performed on their vehicle. So, you know, yes, you can provide the notification, but also you really want to induce the consumer to come in to actually have the repair made. And so we're starting to see some early indications that, um, you know, some auto companies are even proactively, you know, doing commercials to, to really raise awareness and get consumers into the repair shop. Okay, good. I'm, I'm hoping that I, Josh, I meant it. You can have my car when I'm done with it. It's really cute. <laughs> and it's a t- okay, two-seater yeah, ragtop. You need another car. Why not? Two-seater ragtop with a lot of audio power in the trunk and a trunk that holds about four bags of groceries. That's it. And my boxing gloves from when I used to do kickboxing. What can I tell you? Not a family car at all. Let's circle back to Mark Gardner. Mark, I'm not going to ask you about Tang, although I, it just dawned on me that I probably should. But what's in your cup today? Because you're on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Anything interesting you're drinking now? Or, Mark, I warn you, if it's just boring, or oh, I can't imagine you drink anything boring. But if it is, tell me what you're going to drink after the show. That's a little more exciting. Mark Gardner well, at Deloitte, talk to me. <laughs> sure, Bonnie. I'll tell you what I drank last night. Uh, and given that it was St. Patrick's Day, I enjoyed, uh, I'll say, one glass of cold, creamy Guinness, which is my favorite beverage. And I was thinking back to uh, one of my favorite trips to Ireland a couple of years ago, um, sitting just in a uh, nondescript pub, but uh, just really uh, being, again, in the moment in Ireland uh, with a cold Guinness. Uh, so I relived that memory last night. And uh, as a result, this morning, I'm just enjoying a very, very boring cup of hot coffee. Well, we'll go with the Guinness. Thank you very yeah, much. We'll go with the Guinness, okay. Right. It wasn't green, was it, by any chance? No. Uh, no, 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 not Guinness. No. no, no. It needs to be very, very dark brown to be. Uh, I to be good. got it. I, I keep. Th- I said on one of my shows yesterday I was going to go out looking for a green bagel, not a stale one, but a green right. bagel. Josh probably knows that places in New York. I think you do, Josh. Places get, make tinted their uh, their bagels green for St. Patrick's Day. You know what they say on St. Patty's Day? Everybody's Irish. I think that's what they say. Josh, what are you drinking? 
Well, um, I was going to say that I, you know, just for, in honor of the show, mixed up a little propylene glycol uh, with, with a dash <laughs> of STP, uh, but that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Um, you know, I, it's still morning out here in California, so I'm still working on my last cup of tea. It's my blend of Tetley's and a little of this French uh, tea house, Mariage Frère's signature blend, which is Wedding Imperial. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm in Berkeley, I sweeten it with agave and put soy milk in it to make sure that my political correctness doesn't, uh, <clears throat> oh. doesn't get me in trouble. Your PC, but, uh, PC precedes you. Josh, I have started using agave as a sweetener to replace white sugar about six months now, and I use it in my daily. I've never talked about my daily milkshake, but I will in a minute. Derek, let me give you a turn. What are you drinking? Well, you know, Bonnie, I've been on, as you mentioned, a number of times, and I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of fresh out a good beverage story, so I might just take this <laughs> a little... A little bit of a different angle um, and kind of pick sure. up uh, maybe a, a coffee break story that I thought was kind of funny. Um, I, I actually, my wife and in-laws were originally from Racine, Wisconsin, and they're known there for a very famous kind of breakfast pastry called uh, Racine Kringle. Um, it's kind of a Danish uh, pastry. It actually was recently even named like the state of Wisconsin, you know, state mm-hmm. pastry. Official um, Danish. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> when, when I, <laughs> When I was um, living out in D.C., actually, her, her folks were nice enough to ship us out a couple of Kringles, you know, fresh from Racine. And I had the idea that I'd, I'd bring it into the office and put it in the break room so that some of my colleagues could enjoy it. And sure enough, as soon as I sat it down, walked to my computer, sent the email out, you know, letting people know it was there. And by the time I got back to the break room, the whole thing was devoured. Um, so, so definitely I'd recommend if, if you get the chance to try a Racine Kringle with a cup of coffee or tea in the morning, it's a, a great kind of breakfast pastry. Derek, they have their own website, Racine Danish Kringle's official site, Kringle, K-R-I-N-G-L-E dot com. And also there's one, O-O-H-DanishBakery.com, Racine Kringle's. And they're all over Go Shopping. Buy them on the web, O-N-H Danish Bakery, Benson Bakery, Lehman's Bakery, Larson's Bakery. Oh, my. It's even in Wikipedia. Wikipedia has the Kringle day. Amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed. Let me just share my, my, I always tell everybody, Josh and Derek knows this, know this, uh, Mark, that they only let me have water on radio show days. And I'm doing doubleheader radio shows Tuesdays and Wednesdays now because I don't need an extra shot of caffeine. But in the morning, I take skim milk, one ice cube, a medium healthy squirt of agave, medium colored agave, half of a banana, and a shake of nutmeg. Aha. Put it in a little, I have a little um, blender that's not even a blender. It's like a travel blender. I bought it for a friend and they didn't want it. It was like a $16 thing I bought two years ago at Sears. It's a Hamilton Beach. It doesn't even have a product name or number on it. I hit the little button about five or six times and I pour it into a glass with a straw and that's my morning milkshake. And I got to tell you, the agave, the nutmeg, and the banana, just real, sometimes a little dot of vanilla or a little bit of cocoa. Anybody want me to send you well, the recipe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, put it on that, your that, website and we'll order it, honey. Definitely. Right. <laughs> okay. It sounds, a bit, it sounds a bit healthier than my Guinness or, or Derek's <laughs> no, uh, Guinness Kringle, that's healthy. for sure. Don't, don't back down. Well, <laughs> the rest of the day I'm not that healthy, but at least I get off to a good start. I want to tell our listeners we are talking today about time for a tune-up. No, not what you drink for breakfast, but we're talking about advanced 
advanced analytics and auto safety, a really important topic that affects you, whether you're driving a car like Josh that keeps getting recall notices or a car like me that doesn't. But you don't want to be on the road with cars that are being recalled because that could impact your safety on the road, period. End of story. We're going to be right back with our roundtable. Oh, my goodness. We only have about 25 minutes left for the roundtable, but we're going to rock it. I'm going to start off with rocket, no pun intended, Mark Gardner from Deloitte, formerly of NASA. We're going to kick it off in just a minute. So give us about 90 seconds to collect our thoughts and have a sip of whatever. And we'll be right back. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, episode number 173. It's live today, March 18, 2015. We'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, and mazel tov and happy wedding to Brad Comer, our engineer, just got back from his marriage to his beautiful bride. And we'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. And we are live. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm speaking today with Mark Gardner at Deloitte, Josh Greenbaum at EAC Consulting, and Derek Snadoff also at Deloitte. Mark Gardner, you're up first. Let's talk about our roundtable. Let's get started. I'm looking at your notes, and you sent me some interesting comments on risks in the supply chain are going up dramatically. You added, the pace of recalls is likely to increase over time as innovation and new technologies are introduced into vehicles. Let's talk about that. Go ahead, Mark. Well, you know, Bonnie, it's really interesting because, as we said previously, you know, the quality of vehicles really has increased dramatically across the board. I mean, the, the products are just incredible in terms of the embedded technology and, and, the, and the quality. But the interesting thing is there is so much new electric content. There's so much new software. Um, we hear about the emergence of autonomous vehicles. These automobiles of today and and in the near future have more embedded technology in them than, I mean, these are hundreds of times more sophisticated than that space shuttle we talked about earlier from the 1980s. And so with all this new technology, uh, come new suppliers, new entrants into the supply chain, and um, the risks of, of, of recalls driven by you know failures in software, failures in electronics. There, there are new types of failures that are happening, new types of suppliers, 
And um, this is one of the concerns that we have in the industry is with, with the new players in the supply chain dealing with all this new technology, uh, auto manufacturers are just going to have to deal with, uh, you know, different players, uh, different partners, different suppliers, and, and manage these risks in a different way. So we see this, this trend clearly happening in the industry right now. Okay. Josh Greenbaum, thoughts? Suppliers? Well, you know, so it's interesting. I, I think, I think our, probably our best, you know, our best example of where this is going to go in, is to look at the aviation industry. And someone, you know, someone like GE Aviation, you know, does, does an amazing, amazing analytical uh, set of analytical tasks based on their engines. They do in-flight analysis. They, they download data when they land. They, you know, they, they maintain this huge historical database. One of the things they do, which is interesting to this whole supply chain and parts issue, is they obviously, and this is FAA uh, mandated, they, mm-hmm. they track the maintenance record, including the origin of the parts that were the replacement parts uh, mm-hmm. for any kind of maintenance, whether they are OEM or third party. They, they analyze that data. They make sure that they understand um, <clears throat> what that means. And, and just to add to the complexity of the analytics they're doing, they, you know, they're looking at, at city pairs as one of the key analytics. You're flying from New York to London. It's very different in terms of the maintenance picture and the, uh, than flying from New York to Miami. This, this, is, this level of complexity becomes you know, just astronomically large, but it also means the, the, the requirement for collecting a tremendous amount of data down to, this, down to these, these, these extraordinarily fine points or something we're not used to in the consumer automotive industry. I'm not sure, again, back to my initial discussion point, unintended consequences. We have to really think about are we going to be able to even do this? Are we going to be able to optimize uh, the, you know, this, ki- this kind of analytical uh, environment and, and make, it, make it so? You can do that in aviation. FAA requires you. Do we want to share that kind of data? Do we want to have that much control? Are again back to my dealer network? Are the dealers going to want to participate and and be rated according to how well they do maintenance? Because that's again how aviation does it. Um, tricky business, definitely. Very tricky. Derek Snadoff, what do you think? Well, you know, in in light of that, all that complexity too. What we're seeing is that as auto manufacturers maybe try to take some of those lessons from the um, aviation industry. You know, in do, in doing so, just even making the move to using any advanced analytics can be a, a big leap for many of these companies, particularly when you get down to the supplier level, like Mark was discussing. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is really new territory in a lot of cases. And so, you know, not only are they trying to you know just kind of come along the analytics journey and appreciate some of the differences maybe between how they've done business in the past and maybe traditional IT developments versus more agile analytics-based ones. Um, not only are they dealing with kind of that shift, but then doing it on, on an area of so much complexity. Um, so it, it definitely is something that is, that is a challenge the, and that they're working actively to try to make that shift. Right. right. Okay. I think one of the challenges is actually going to be consumer behavior challenge because, Josh, as you said, you know, the FAA mandates that, that airplanes go through uh, routine maintenance and preventive maintenance, and, and we're actually all very happy about that because the risk of failure in an airplane is, is, is just catastrophic. Um, but if the automakers are able to do predictive analytics and show that a part is beginning to fail but it has not failed yet, um, the ability to get the consumer to bring the vehicle into a dealer to get maintenance done, you know, preventive maintenance, is, is probably a lot more of a challenge. 
I mean, many consumers are just going to wait until they have the problem, something breaks, and then they're mm-hmm. going to get it towed into the dealership. Um, and so uh, I, I fully take your point that says not all dealers are kind of operating at the same level of service and quality as, as maybe you know, we would want them to. But um, I think a lot of the preventive maintenance um, trends here and implications around analytics actually creates more opportunities for dealers to do more you know, checkups on your car and, and, and really deal with things before they become big problems. I mean, personally, I would like to. I would like to open up the recall repair business to the independent mechanics and get and and and, and effectively force dealer quality to to improve that way. And I and I have to say, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm harping on this, but as a um, as an avid listener of Car Talk, um, and 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 then right. and, um, and I I I moan the death of. Of, uh, of of Ray uh, recently, you listen to how they, you know, their analysis uh, on a very on a very humorous way of, of what goes on in the world of, of mechanics. It's it's all over the map. Mechanics, you know, again, whether they're dealers or independents, are not are, are not necessarily up to snuff in terms of diagnosing these very very complex systems, as, as we've already uh, said. So I, I think there's I think. You know, and, and I'll confess, I'm sitting on three recalls for my car that I haven't I haven't moved on, mm. partly because they don't look like they're that serious, and partly because mm-hmm. I'd have to go to another town to get them serviced because I have to go to a, a different dealer. So I, I think there's I think that that the, the service chain and the supply chain, you know, are are gonna are gonna really have to shift to be able to do this, um, and uh, well, you know, and being able to manage the quality of third party parts, being able to manage the the counterfeit market the the gray market to make sure these things are getting <clears throat> you know the right parts are getting in the right car in the right way um it's going to be very very complicated to to deal with and i'm not sure you know i'm not sure the you know w- 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 it's very easy and we talk about big data analytics all the time on this show you know it's very easy for the automotive industry to put the sensors in and start building these you know these data lakes of information operationalizing that data is a whole cultural shift and it's going to be it's going to be expensive and complicated josh that's where i was going to go next this is bonnie but i'm I'm looking at your notes and there's something here you just brought up a very important point you say safety is a matter of personal responsibility as well as technical capabilities consumers and drivers need to be active participants in these changes and you just gave us an example you listen to car talk radio you're avid with that very interesting to you Uh, i'm going to read a note from your bio here you grew up in the shadow of motor city during the era of muscle cars and gallons of gas that were just pennies a gallon i think i remember those days too josh omg but more important this idea that safety is a matter of personal responsibility you're sitting on three recall notices you're a smart guy you made the determination that eh, probably not that bad, too far away, it's inconvenient. So analytics at a very rudimentary level are the filter of what the consumer sees and, and weighs. Do I really need to? Do I really want to? Do I really have to? Any comment on that, Josh, or uh, Mark and Derek? Thoughts? Well, let me go back to the aviation example for, for, for one second. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it, it speaks to how complex this is. So after sure. all that data gets crunched, after all those predictive analytics are put together, it goes, <clears throat> the data goes into a, uh, essentially a fleet analyst who analyzes the data for, because they're looking at fleets, you know, pick an airline, United's fleet. This, this individual or individuals have a body of knowledge independent of the data about how this fleet operates, about how they, they, it, they, they take that soft feel, uh, you know, that, that, that decades of expertise and apply it to the data, and then they try to analyze, is this really, 
you know, is this a recall we have to deal with? Is, is this a maintenance? You know, these engines, yeah, this, this, this company tends to run their engines a little hotter, but they do better, you know, they do better washing them out during maintenance and getting, that, getting those particles out so they can run cooler again. So maybe, we, maybe this is, we'll call this a false positive and not, not recall. So you have to add that, that personal component is, is absolutely essential at the fleet level. And I would argue that for us consumers, it's going to end up being at the personal level, too. I drive my cars, you know, I don't have a sports car. I drive like I do have a sports car. Uh, that's a maintenance <laughs> issue uh, in the long yes. run. Um, you maybe have a sports car and you're, you know, you're driving 30 miles an hour on, a, on the open highway. These are, these are very complicated no. things that make it hard to deal with. Yes, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Uh, Derek, I want to hear Derek or Mark on this one. Yeah, this is Mark. I'll chime in on that. I mean, I'll use a very, very kind of simple example of of a water pump in your car. You know, the the water pump in your car is going to fail at some point. You know, it's probably an eight-year part or a 10-year part, but if you keep your car long enough, that water pump will fail. Now, when that does fail, hopefully you're not, you know, out in some uh, desolate part of the state uh, because your car won't run when that thing fails. Now, it's very possible with technology today to put a sensor on that pump that says, you know, the pressure is starting to decline or it's running at a too hot a temperature or, you know, there's indications that the pump is starting to seize or starting to have problems. And to take that signal and send it back to uh, the dealer, send it to the automaker, you know, using telemetry, you know, to really, you know, begin to predict that that particular pump is going to fail and send a note to the, to the consumer, you better have this thing serviced. Now, Josh, it's it's very very true that there's this going to be this whole influx of data now dealing. At, I'm talking about one part and one sensor. There's literally going to be hundreds of sensors on a vehicle, you know, and it's going to be a challenge for for automakers to kind of manage that, sort through that, analyze that, and get the right types of you know messaging out, you know, to to the people that need to hear it. But the the opportunity here is to actually you know deal with that issue before it becomes you know a catastrophic issue for the consumer. They can actually take action sometime, let's say over the next six months, go come in, have that pump serviced, you know, and and avoid the consequence of being stranded someplace on a deserted highway. You know, so I think the data issue is real. I think we know the automakers are going to be faced with just, you know, literally, um, you know, terabytes of data that they have to figure out and analyze. But I think the opportunity to kind of get ahead of these failure issues as opposed to being purely responsive to problems when they happen is is just a really great opportunity for the industry and for consumers. Well, Thank amen. you. I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think I think I just think that you know we have to do better than and turn than than turn a check engine light on the dashboard, though, and mm-hmm. that, that I think is you know one one of the issues. It's it's you you also have to treat the consumer with a little more, uh, offer them a little more data, offer them a little more rationale. Tell me why you know I'd like to know why you know my shift lock solenoid assembly they think might fail and in fact what is that what is the consequence of that and what is what is the for my model my year with my miles what are what are my odds because uh otherwise i my temptation is to say oh you're you know you're crying wolf because you i've got four of these different recall notices in the last year and a half and um most of them don't you're, you're absolutely right. And here's the other thing. There's consumer privacy issues at play here as well. I mean, imagine your car that puts off, you know, signals from 200 different sensors that says how fast you're driving, how fast you accelerate, how fast you brake, how hard you brake, how hard you turn. You know, 
you know, it's very possible with the technology today to build a very precise profile of your driving habits and patterns, right? And I would say most consumers probably don't want that information being made available to, you know, let's say auto companies, let alone insurance companies, any other people that could potentially, you know, get their hands on that data. So, the 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 data is there. The telemetry is very possible with today's technology, but the issue of uh, consumer privacy is is a very big deal in this area. Right. Unintended consequences. Yes, right. Derek, you want to chime in on this one before I go in a different direction slightly? Sure. sure yeah, just briefly, but just to pick up on that point. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're seeing, you know, even in kind of the the vehicle safety realm, you know, up until fairly recently, a lot of the kind of data sources that were available to the auto company, I wouldn't even call big data just yet. They were, you know, a lot of just, uh, you know, call center information, maybe warranty claims information, repair orders, things like that. Um, but as we've been discussing here, that it, it's a whole new frontier when you start talking about all this sensor data that's now going to be available directly mm-hmm. off the vehicle. And that, that'll really be a much better leading indicator of, of safety issues but brings up a whole host of other concerns. And, you know, as, as we talk with a lot of auto companies, they're struggling with, you know, that kind of privacy concern that we just talked about, as well as, you know, requests from companies that want to market to people based on knowing where the vehicle is and driving patterns and things. And, you know, so there's a lot of challenges around, you know, do people, you know, need, should they opt in, you know, to having this, this kind of information collected from them, or is it automatically collected? And, yes, yeah, so it, it brings up a whole host of um your kind of points to be debated. Good. I want to pull in a comment from Josh and a comment from Derek, and let's see where it goes. Josh, you say adopting advanced analytics is more of a cultural issue than a technolog- technological one, and the automotive industry is going to have the same teething problems as other industries. Let's just leave that on the table for a second. Derek says, for many companies, analytics are new territory, and he adds, across industries, we find significant disconnects between quality and safety, the business and IT, the data scientists, and the business analysts. I, I just put a lot out on the table here. Here. Derek, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to jump in on this anywhere you want. Then we'll bring in Josh and Mark. I'd like to talk about what's happening behind the scenes on the automotive industry side. What's happening? Derek? Yeah, you know, what we're, what we're seeing is analytics are typically fairly new to the auto, auto companies, and so they are having these kind of growing pains and just trying to um, shift some of their operations from more traditional IT development to more agile analytics development. Uh, but you know it's it's more, it's even b- bigger and more important than that to think about things like the business process implications and and the governance and and so you know what we find is that there you know are some companies that are still almost looking at this in too much of a siloed fashion where you've got maybe separate quality and separate safety or separate business users and separate IT um, administrators and and data scientists are separate from the business analysts and. And, and this goes back to what um, Josh mentioned before, that, you know, really you need all of those um, parties at the table together to make one of these solutions effective, you know, because your, your data scientists and your IT folks are going to help, you know, stand up the infrastructure to do the proactive sensing and the detection of the vehicle safety issues. Um, but it's not like, I mean, they're, they're a decision support tool. You know, you, you want to be able to pass by the analytical insights through an investigator, someone who's a subject matter expert to really understand whether, you know, is this something that, you know, we should take action on now or something we should watch and, or is this, you know, really a a critical safety issue or is it maybe more of a lesser quality issue? 
Um, so there's a lot of like organ governance and change management aspects that we're seeing are very important to, you know, it's not about, you know, just putting a big data system in, running a bunch of analytics and thinking you have this solved. It's really about an organizational shift. Josh? Yeah, I think, you know, luck, it was, what's, what's nice about automotive is, <clears throat> the automotive industry in general is that there's this, this whole uh, race car segment that is pioneering, pioneers everything and, you know, so many of the parts in our car, rack and pinion steering, uh, independent suspension came out of racing, and, and the analytics are coming out of racing too. So, you know, Microsoft has actually been working with McLaren for a long time, uh, wiring up their mm-hmm. race cars, doing advanced analytics, really fine tuning on the McLaren side the ability to, in real time, you know, out in a race, on a racetrack, you know, manage manage these 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 high end, very very sensitive rate cars in a very proactive way. No doubt, <clears throat> those lessons are being learned on the data analysis side, on the on the data collection side, the streaming data, complicated, all that stuff. That's that's all being being you know transmitted literally in real time to the rest of the industry. Those are those are mm-hmm. that's a proving ground in so many ways. So we're seeing we're seeing some of this happening already. But yeah, it is as I you know, as my comment you've heard me say this a million times on this show. You know, it's e- getting the data and the technology is easy. It's getting people to use it in the correct way. That's really hard. Exactly. And Josh, you brought up McLaren. Uh, uh, it's, that's when it's sexy. That's when analytics are, wow, look at that. They can tell this. They can tell that. They're communicating with the driver. He's taking the bend. He's making the corner. He's racing to the pit stop. Wow, they know stuff that they, even the driver, even the car doesn't know it's having these issues. My goodness, that's when it's sexy. But when you tell people they have a recall and it's serious and they decide maybe it is, maybe it isn't, then you bring it back down to the human analytics side, which which obviously is at a different level. Mark Gardner, you want to chime in on this one? Sure. Well, first of all, stick with the uh, racing uh, metaphor for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with the uh, telemetry that comes off the race car, as Josh has said, you know, I, it, it really changes the way that the pit crews now operate because they can see a trend happening in the vehicle. They can tell the driver to bring the car into the pit stop, and they're ready to make the change uh, before whatever you know part it is that's having problems fails. Um, and so now take that and extend that to what we're we're talking about more broadly in the industry. You know, the telemetry from the vehicle uh, certainly is a potential wealth of information, but that's just one source of, of many. And Derek talked about customer call center data. You know, there's dealer uh, repair data. There's warranty data. There, there's just you – know, at one company we worked with, there were 26, 26 uh, discrete data sources that all had information, some structured information, some unstructured information about uh, performance of various parts within the automobile. And so – and the, and the technology, the tools for analytics exist today. And it's, it's frankly, these tools have existed for a couple of years. Um, but the challenge really is the organizational challenges. The, 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 the tools really require that work gets done differently. And, and just like the, the pit crew um, in Formula One now is more proactive and less reactive, it's, it's mm-hmm. the same thing within companies now. Companies that really apply these tools and look at all the different sources of data that are out there are able to um, manage these issues and manage things in a much more proactive way, um, and it's much more of a um, 
you know, much more of a, uh, I think, a responsible way to get information, you know, out to dealers and out to consumers. But it does require, you know, changes to the way they 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 do investigations and the ways that they do, um, you know, the engineering and then the ways that they do recall administration. And so there's a ton of these cultural changes uh, that really are implied in the way that Derek talked about uh, by implementing these tools. So I, I, I think I agree with my other panelists here that the challenge is, is absolutely not about the technology. The challenge is about the cultural shift and the way that work is done in these companies. Thank you, Mark. I want to talk very briefly where we have nine minutes till closing and we're going to, I'm going to leave about a minute to a minute and a half each for predictions, but I have to talk about one of Josh Greenbaum's, I think, favorite topics. It's the driverless car. You knew I wouldn't forget about that one, Josh. <laughs> Josh says, oh, it's what is it, self-healing cars? You talked about that a couple weeks ago. Josh says the push to the driverless car is increasing the complexity and potential vulnerability of new safety and quality systems. Josh, why don't you lecture us a little bit, teach us a little bit of what, what you see on these driverless cars next week, well, next well, year? Clearly, when? you know, let, yeah, let's start with what happens when – there's a, there's a catastrophic failure, and you're in driverless mode. Um, I mean, in theory, you know, you're warned in advance and long enough uh, as the, uh, <clears throat> I think it's the, uh, the Volvo uh, commercial shows, you can, you can grab the wheel and, and put your foot on the pedal. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you're not warned in time, um, you have a system failure, you're, you're, you're in a collision, you're off the road. And I think that, you know, there is no doubt that, you're going to, you know, you, I think, and this is where I, I talk about consumer responsibility. If I'm going to have these kind of complex systems on my car and they're going to be literally saving my life or someone else's life on a daily basis uh, in, every, in every drive, I, I'm going to have to take some responsibility for making sure that, mm-hmm. that they, they're, they're in better shape than right now where, you know, basically I'm, you know, what do I do to my car? I, you know, I change the oil and, and make sure there's air in the tires. I think we're going to have to do a lot more than that. I know, I know. Guess what? We are at the point where we're going to slide into home plate and we're going to go into our predictions round. Mark Gardner, you're up first. And Mark, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I know it doesn't sound like much, but I know you're ready to go. Mark, can you see clearly to the year 2020 or how far into the future can you predict? What would we be talking about in terms of the advances in advanced analytics and auto safety at? You tell me when in the future. 90 seconds, Mark Gardner, go. Well, as I peer into my crystal ball, Bonnie, uh, what I see uh, over the next couple of years are companies uh, doing a much better job of um, digesting and interpreting data that exists today, data from the vehicle and data from a lot of other sources, uh, to be a lot more intelligent about knowing when product problems are going to happen and getting that information out in the hands of the people that need to know that information. And I see this happening you know, right now with the existing fleet on the road. And as I peer very deeply into my crystal ball, and I look a little further out onto the horizon, say 2020, um, I do see a different type of fleet. I do see more vehicles that do have more autonomy, um, perhaps not completely autonomous, um, but just like the airplane of today that can basically take off, fly, and land itself, vehicles will be able to drive themselves, but there will always be a pilot behind the wheel. At least that's what I see in my crystal ball. Um, And if we couple that vehicle technology with our ability to uh, see problems before they happen, you know, I, I see a very kind of stable, safe, um, and, and frankly, you know, a very, very cool uh, driving environment in the year 2020. Good. I like that, cool and safe. That's a good combo. Let's go to Josh Greenbaum. 90 seconds. 
predictions. What do you see in the crystal ball? Josh, how far out can you take us? Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll posit my, 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 my future. You tell me what year that might be. I'm really, okay. you know, I actually look at modern healthcare as, as an example of where we can go in the automobile industry. And mm-hmm. we're just at the beginning of this in healthcare delivery, but we now have a tremendous amount of assets available to the patient. Uh, whether that's connecting directly to a caregiver, uh, you know, a provider online, as well as access to, you know, to your basic analytics. I can look at all my test results. I can look at the, the results from my last visit. I can be much more proactive with my care today in, in, in dealing with my health care system, and I, in the future that will be even much more uh, much more attenuated. And I see that happening as well. Again, we, we've talked about this incredible amount of data, this incredibly complex vehicle. I'm going to, I'm going to want to have that kind of interaction with the, with the manufacturer and, and the service provider, and they're going to, going to want to have that with me. So I, I see us really in a, in a world where the consumer is going to be looking at analytics in, in a very, very proactive way, kind of like what, you know, what Nest wants to do in the home with 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 heating and cooling, giving that giving that enough data to personalize that experience, but also you know mm-hmm. putting some of that into the hands of the consumer as well. So I, I think we're going to have a lot more of that interaction based on these advanced an- analytics. Thank you, Josh. And I'm remembering you were on with me about two weeks ago on another related topic to automotive, and you sent me, uh, Mark and Derek will get a kick out of this. Josh sent me a quote from the Beatles' 1965, the song, Baby, You Can Drive My Car, Yes, I'm Going to Be a Star. So <laughs> driverless, yes, short. Right. Good good offer, Josh. Good offer. Derek, I saved the best for last. Well, you're all the best to me. Go ahead, Derek. 90 seconds. Predictions. Go. Okay. Uh, so one prediction on the opportunity side is is I see, you know, as Mark mentioned, being able to ingest all these different data sources and run them through um, analytic engines to do more proactive sensing for safety issues. But I, I see that even, you know, kind of becoming smarter um, in the future where it, it'll almost become a self-learning system where, you know, all the sensor data, all these other information streams will be flowing through the analytical models, and they'll be constantly learning and making adjustments based on you know, different conditions and different patterns that are associated with, with safety issues. And so, it, like, it'll really become a, kind of a, an intelligent type of system for finding issues. What, one challenge I potentially I could see, I don't know, like, when, when this might happen or even if it will, um, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this too much today, but it's just the, you know, a potentially a shift from an ownership um, kind of uh, model mm-hmm. with vehicles to more of a, of kind of a rental type of, of, of model. The shared. Yep. Yeah, like you know, the you know, think Ubers and some of the other disruptors yep. in this market and and what that might do in terms of, you know, can you really get a good read on from sensor data off of a vehicle like that if you've got, you know, potentially, you know, multiple different buyers or multiple different drivers using the vehicle. Um, and could yep. that confuse things and, and Who's create responsible? some additional challenges too. So yeah. Derek, I'm going to predict that you just gave me the next topic where you, Mark, and Josh are going to come back to talk to me about the shared economy, automotive, and advanced analytics or not so much. And we're going to do it in maybe July or August. You all interested? Just say yes. Humor me. That would be great. Good. 
Yes. Good. We'll come back. Great topic. Derek is great at that. I want to thank my panelists, Mark Gardner. Wonderful to meet you. And thanks for joining us, Derek Snadoff. Always a delight to have you. Josh, what can I say? You and your driverless car. I'm going to wave at you when I see it driving by right now. Uh, I'll be back this afternoon with the Customer Edge with Game Changers Live, episode number 13 in one of our series. And tomorrow morning, I'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern with another episode live of Future of Business with Game Changers. We've got to go now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for joining us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. And here is my very appropriate call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, no matter what analytics and what car you're driving. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I certainly will. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.